0: Welcome to the Flower Hour podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on
0: LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Hello, hello, hello to everybody. It's your boy, Sean Flores. Um, you know, we're called Flower Hour. This is the first in my new series, so I'm looking forward to having Kevin Munger on here, two-time author. He's going to be talking about his book, um, Racism, and, you know, being an inspirational young black male. Now, let me figure out how do I tell here we go perfect there we go ready looking forward to this it's been waiting for such a long time
1: it's
0: yes kevin what are you telling me
1: <laughs> i'm good man how are you
0: man i'm good it's been a long day did a, did a little bit of training um mm-hmm. being doing a lot more reading you know i've got all my mm-hmm. books in my library Especially that's been happening, man. I'm so excited because we've waited for such a long time to be able to connect.
1: Yes, 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 and to build, um, you know, absolutely. And it's the right time, I think, man. God's timing, perfect time. Yeah, no,
0: for sure. I think unfortunately we're in a circumstance now with um, the unfortunate death of another brother, George yeah. Floyd, um, and it's brought a lot of people together, which is obviously a positive thing, but. I'm trying to keep this Instagram live series as something that's going to be consistent. People can mm. continue to take away the knowledge. And I just want to use my platform for, most importantly, something positive to talk about inspirational people that I know, especially the Black people that are in my life that I care about and I love about. Mm. So I just want to say thank you for coming on.
1: Just you're welcome, my brother. Man. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> so platform. before you
0: came into the request, I was introducing you as, you know, two-time author now. You've written two books. What is the first one?
1: So the first one is Young Black Males Have Potential. Um, That was written in 2017. And your second book? And the second book is Who Am I? Uh, And it's about self-identity and purpose.
0: So yeah, man, listen, you've got to tell the audience now about both of your books because I remember I saw your Instagram when you um, had your first book out and that's when we were speaking about you know, the idea of young black men, there's a negative stereotype, there's misconceptions, there's ideas that blackness works within a monolith, and yeah. there's only one set way to be, but resistance works from different lanes. So mm-hmm. I'd love to hear more about your book, first book.
1: Yeah, so Young Black Men's Have Potential came about, um, actually came about via a, a hashtag first, and it was nece- it wasn't necessarily to actually be written, or it wasn't going to be pushed as a... It was it started off as a movement. So I started it off as yeah. a hashtag and I wanted to kind of play with the reverse psychology. you know, all the negative stereotypes that we see in the media and how we are painted and demonised. So for me, it was really about tapping in into that area, but flipping it on its head and showing that, no, we do have potential. Um, and then then I, did, I started doing the studies around it and I started to see, because I was speaking, I started to see that, all Top speakers had things that they've said documented. That's when I knew that I needed the book in order for my voice to be everywhere in the world. Um, yeah. So I started to look at literature, I started to look at books. Obviously, I was a beginner, so I wasn't sure on the the reception I was going to get. Um, but then, yeah, I just thought of it. I said, listen, this is the hashtag you've been using. This yeah. is the first book. And I felt like, okay, cool. This is going to be the book that I'm going to talk about. And then, yeah, the book was... Wasn't easy to write, but yeah. in a way, it, it, came, it came together organically because I knew yeah. excuse me, what I wanted to write about. I knew that I wanted to talk about gangsterism uh, due to previous experiences. I knew that I wanted to talk about black on black crime, something yeah. that's affecting every single day. Um, you either know someone that's dead, or you know of someone that's dead, or your neighbor's dead, or the person down the road is dead. So I knew that black on black crime was something that I wanted to really. You know, talk about um, and explain. I spoke about police brutality, and as we see, it's still happening in 2020. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, something very, very important: stereotypes, black masculinity, all the, the different, um, different, different chapters are very important. Um, not there's not one chapter that's more important than the other one. They're all very much significant and on the same. Um, on the same level really and yeah so i released the book in 2017 um although i was studying for a law degree and i was in my second year i still prioritized it and released it because urgency calls for um priority so yeah that's the first book
0: listen when i hear that it makes me so happy because you know when i grew up there were certain things that i didn't um understand that there are only certain things that I could conceptualize until I studied my undergraduate in criminology and sociology. And I really want to ask you the question about Black and Black crime. Now, typically mm-hmm. when we hear Black and Black crime, it's a rebuttal from when certain people outside of the Black community and perhaps even some Black conservatives use as a narrative mm-hmm. to push against the idea that there's um, police brutality or mm-hmm. institutional racism. And I would love to hear more about black-on-black black crime, especially for the listeners here, that when they hear black-on-black black crime, they're going to be like, oh, I don't want to hear that. He's just probably going to try and use that as an excuse. I know it's not like that for, um, mm-hmm. from talking to you, but I'd love to hear more specifically about black-on-black black crime.
1: So black-on-black black crime, as we know, obviously, the, the cliche explanation would just be one black man inflicting harm on another. Um, it, obviously, much deeper than that. Um, and Again, like you said, someone might just be like, "Oh, this is this is an excuse, or this is this is a way of making us the victims." But it's actually not. Obviously, there's underlying issues, such as poverty, such as social clubs, such as um, just being exposed to different things and different things to your 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 um, from from your your estate to to the education you receive, one receives the attention one receives, um, and the accessibility of being able to to look past that, and essentially what crime does um essentially what poverty does is it brings forth crime now you're not going to rob someone that's got security and someone that's unaccessible you're gonna go and rob the person that you can access and unfortunately nine times out of ten that's your fellow black brother um so that's how black on black crime actually arises that's how it that's how it comes um that's how it that's how, that's how it comes into fruition you know what I mean and um so yeah this is how black on black crime obviously started and then from that we see obviously now it's like something that's inherited to the younger generation is is something that obviously something that's glorified and glamorized if you're not above the av- the average mind you will just adhere to um so that's what happens when just people young people killing each other. And getting their straps, as they call it. So yeah, yeah. A very distorted, a very distorted view. But that's that's what I can say on black on black crime.
0: And following on from the very idea that you know, um, black people or those that are involved, the very concept of black on black crime—you rob who's within closest to, to, in your vicinity, and that's typically mm-hmm. another brother. Now, mm-hmm. I, I guess, suppose we could both liken that to the very much of the idea of crabs in a barrel, you know. Mm-hmm. Each crab is trying to make it out, but every crab is pushing the other crab down just to make it to the top, not realizing that if all the crabs work together and they use their brain, they could all climb out of the barrel together as a brotherhood, um, as a community. So as a community and as an individual yourself, how important is communitarianism to the upliftment, to the fulfillment and the enjoyment very much so of the black community?
1: Oh sorry bro, you're gonna have to say that again. It the connection.
0: Which part which part did you hear me say?
1: You stopped uh the connection between I think black on black crime. Um so mm-hmm. I was saying
0: that very much that when we think about um black on black crime, yes as you said, you know, you rob your brother that's typically within the vicinity, um, and it's like crabs in a barrel, you're trying to climb mm-hmm. each trying to climb out, but you're pushing on each other without realizing if you work as a community you can take each other out of the barrel so Mm -hmm. i would like to know from you how could we find fulfillment enjoyment as a community moving forward and as an individual how are you going to be able to help that because you have your book but how are you also pushing that narrative outside of your being outside of being an author
1: so i think it's simple and it's not simple um the simplicity of it is representation so you, as a young black man who looks like them, talks like them, who may have a similar background to them, I'm talking about the, the young men that are taking each other's lives or that are scoring points on the streets, you become a representation in something that they believe that they would never be able to... to ex- uh, in an area that they, they feel like they can never excel in, you go yeah. into that area and you try to become a representation there. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, but how do you... Break that wall What you do is You'll never know if you don't try so, so what you do is obviously Literature was for me the area Which I felt like okay We're underrepresented in, underrepresented, underrepresented In Yeah. And I felt like okay This is, this is the avenue that I want to go into um, In 2016 There was only one black author In the whole of the UK One black uh, author that had written a novel
0: Say, that again. Me, Say that again was... Just so people can hear that again
1: in 2016, only one black author had written a novel in the in the entire UK. That's incredible. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, and it just comes to show um, that yeah, we were were underrepresented in that industry. Um what you do is you also create an alternative. So a lot of young black men growing up on estates or in deprived areas would have felt like the only way out for them if it wasn't street credibility, because uh, we have to understand a lot of these. Young men are ambitious. That's why they get involved in gangs. They would have thought the only legitimate way to feel like somebody or to feel um, like someone of value would have been football or music. Do you know what I mean?
0: Achievements of the body and not the mind.
1: Yes. Achievements of the body.
0: Which is typically a paradigm we are very much stuck in. And um, Mm -hmm. You know, during my childhood, my mum refused for me To actually have achievements of the body, it simply had to be of the (laughs) mind. And I was talented Mm. at both, which Mm. came at a cost because one had to be sacrificed. Although I think I could have done both, but that's actually Mm. a very, very good point. Um, And following on from your point about gangsterism, I'd like to know if you're willing to share Mm -hmm. with myself and with people watching, what's your story with gangsterism? Because I don't hear many people say gangsterism. I think typically we hear gangsters, you know, thugs. Mm and so on, so what's your experience?
1: So gangsterism is a state of mind um, that you inherit, that you adopt from seeing things from an early age, or so violent from an early age. Um, Obviously I came from, I'm not born in this country, I'm born in Paris. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm born in Paris, and from an early age I was seeing gangsterism. I had two older brothers who made a name for themselves to an extent in Paris through fighting, so from an early age, I was told that one proves his masculinity by fighting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's the ideals that I adopted. If that's what you're seeing as a young man or as a young child, that's all you can go by kind of thing. Um, so that was the first introduction to gangsterism, just fighting, standing your ground, holding, holding your own. Um, and then I came to London, and what I saw in London was there was a lack of familiarity. So in France, although there was violence, there was a lot more familiarity. I could knock on my neighbour's door, ask for ketchup, ask for onions, and vice versa. When I came here, um, that's when I actually was introduced to what gangs are kind of thing. So that's like a different, um, a different introduction or the second part to gangsterism. Um, as I would call it. And what I also saw was that the gangsters were quite respected. They had some sort of immunity. They could go to the news agent and come back without being touched, without being robbed. And the people that weren't involved, they'd be asked, whatever you're from, they'd be, you know, they'd be robbed, they'd be bullied. And and then what I started to realise was that if you can't, if 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 you're not part of this, if you can't beat them, Essentially you have to join them as cliche as yeah. it sounds. Um and so yeah, so for me gangsterism was that. It was just it was freedom, liberty, it was power. It was it was quite a lot of things when I was a young um a young man growing up. It was it was the thing. Um do you know what I mean? Growing up where I grew up, Croydon. And yeah, man, literally gangsterism is just it's it's all of those things. And then you and then you come to a realization at the end that they're actually all illusions but when you that's all you live in and that's all you see you believe that if you can't beat them then surely you must join them so essentially 100%. 100%.
0: everything that you saw became your reality
1: hundred um, percent I
0: remember from my studies and from my reading there's a very famous um, test with mice and this is surrounding drugs but um mm. There were mice and um, they were in an environment, however they build the environments for the mice. And yeah. They put cocaine in the water for mice. And um, mm-hmm. the mice obviously became addicts. There yeah. was nothing around their environment that was stimulating. Nothing helped them to, um, you know, come off their addiction. Because people forget that mice and humans psychologically have very similar traits. Rats are incredibly mm-hmm. social animals. They become super depressed if they don't um, have other animals to associate. And to play with and what mm. it also showed was they still carried on with um crack it was crack. it was over cocaine either one of the 2 but both the same mm. ones diluted one's pure um there was crack, and um i'll, I'll use cocaine for this off the top of my head cocaine mm. was in one of the water and one of the other waters was clear um mm. and in this envi- in environment it had um like a, a wheel you know that a lot of right um mice run on and so and it had a lot of other things and eventually what they realized with the mice was the mice stopped from drinking the water that had the cocaine mm-hmm. simply because their surrounding environment was stimulating enough for them to not have to use drugs mm-hmm. as a stimulus. And mm-hmm. one of my biggest arguments in my own community is, as you said, gangsterism, you know, black on black crime. It's a way for us to stimulate ourselves in a very morbid in a very mm. tragic and in a very insidious way, and I just wonder what could we put in that environment to allow us and to help us stimulate the growth and excellence of our young mm. black brothers, especially.
1: A very good question. I'm going to think about it before I answer it. Um, what I would say is, again, representation, but you take it to the next step. Now, representation now has to develop into opportunities to the same people that you see coming out of your areas who are not just footballers or who are not just rappers, who may be authors or actors or um, politicians. You know, just anything that is quite that looks quite that you need ambition to, to attain, you put in the face. You need a, you you put that you put that in their faces and you you show them that okay, there are opportunities. I am accessible. Come here do this, you set up events for them, you bring employers, you make it very informal as well. Because a lot of the times when you make things formal, you sometimes barricade yourself and you, you kind of put a stop to certain things because the young people will be like, oh, I'm not good enough, or the way I speak, I'm not articulate, or I can't you know, attend that event. So you make it informal, maybe have a console there, you have food, and you just make, you make yourself accessible. You know what I mean? We saw uh, John Boyega going to the protest, and everyone requesting yeah. pictures. And again, that's accessibility. He could have been like, "I'm a top star. I can't be around all those people." He could have been. He could have felt fearful and thought someone might try to rob me, or this or that. I don't think he was with like security or bodyguards, but yeah. yeah again, it just kind of, it kind of shows the humility that one needs when you're coming from those areas, and then you just kind of just give back. You give back. You give back and you put in their faces, because the young people are not going to come towards you. You have to go towards them. You just have to throw the opportunities. So I think that's definitely one way to stimulate um, their minds. They're very ambitious, I'm sorry, they're very ambitious people. And so we have to drive their ambition towards the right causes.
0: Perfect. Um, I'm just going to say to all the viewers that if you have any questions, you wanna ask Kevin or myself, just put them in the comments and um, we'll try and ask them as well. Um, yeah. But also from your work, Kevin, um, mm-hmm. I've seen you've gone to HMMP Wandsworth, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I've also worked in prisons and you realize a lot of these men, they're not scary. When they have yep. another black brother that comes in that you know, speaks the way we do, that speaks you know, positive to them, they just want a chance. And they Mm -hmm. just want an opportunity to be able to reintegrate themselves back into society. And Mm -hmm. I want to ask, from your experience of prisons, what have you taken away from it? And if there's anything you could do differently um, for for the boys in prison, irrespective if they're black or white, what would you do?
1: What would I do? Um... Obviously, when you find yourself in prison, must have mean must 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 mean that something must have happened, and obviously you've ended up there. So the first thing to do is not reminding one of their past, reminding or um reiterating to the person because they might have heard it before that perfection is non-existent. Because you know a lot of the times people will still blame them for what they've done. They'll come up to society that still kind of labels them as the ex-prisoner. And stuff like that, and so what you do is you try to eradicate those labels, so that they come out with a fresh mind. Um, what I would do, obviously, if I go in there, would be some sort of mentoring, some sort of helping them rehabilitate themselves for when they come out. Because I see a lot of things, I see a lot of people um, con- um, welcome ex-prisoners with champagne, but okay, that champagne hopefully will then turn into an opportunity, an opportunity for them to make money when they're out. Because it's all yeah. f- it's good, you know, throwing champagne and on the person that's coming out, but if they're coming out to nothing, no yeah. opportunity, no mentoring, no following, nothing, what's going to happen? Yeah. you are going to re- You know what I mean? So, I think for me, it's really like just making sure when they're there to prepare them for the world outside because when they come out, I work with young men, um, I mentor young men, and there was a young man, we had a referral of a young man that was coming out, so he was fresh home, right? A um, 16-year-old, and when I took him shopping, he was just like, oh, there's actually no one in the streets. So remember, they're not, they've stopped somewhere. You have to update yeah. them. Do you know what I mean? He was like, there's yeah. no one in the streets. This coronavirus thing is real. There's actually no one. He went into Audi and he wanted to buy the shop, literally. He was like, today I'm going to eat everything. He picked up sweets. He picked up biscuits. He picked up everything. And that's what happened in that per- that person's life. So what I would say is, you talk to them whilst they're there. You You, you try to update them as much as you can. Um, and then when they come out, you support them, you help them find work, you you help their mind, you help rehabilitate them. And then, yeah, we can move forward that way.
0: Yeah, that sounds um, great. And it's something that I absolutely agree with. And I hope that you and I will be able to do that because I think it's important. Um, before we move on to talking about your second book, we've yeah. got a question from Hi Karty, if I pronounced it correctly, that says, I question whether you're strengthening the association between gangsterism and blacks when it happens in every race. Kevin, I would like I would lead you to answer that question.
1: Hold on, let me read the question. Let me see the question. So, by strengthening, does he mean in terms of? Fighting the the cause or fighting for the actual gangsterism? I think what
0: um, he's... I'm going to assume what whoever that individual is and what they're saying is, mm-hmm. are we strengthening the association between gangsterism and blacks? So are we making the very... I suppose it's the word association between gangsterism mm-hmm. and blacks. By us associating gangsterism and black, are mm-hmm. we only adding fuel to the fire?
1: So no. So gangsterism is a separate topic, um, it's a topic of class, social class. Um, most predominantly, it happens within the working class. It happens again. It it comes. It derives from poverty. It derives from a lack of opportunity. I, we don't associate it to blacks, but unfortunately, subconsciously, when we when we tend to because it's been something that's been played in our music videos, it's something that's been quite worshipped in our neighborhoods we tend to think like for example when one of our referrals were coming in uh, where I work we obviously read the report and it said that you had stabbed an individual before and stuff like that and then my colleague called me and he was like oh he's not black and and for me it was just like wow it's not something that's actually done um, it's done on purpose it's actually just something within our community that's quite worshipped more than in other communities. We don't see it as much as... if We we might even um, get that misconception that people might feel like, oh, if, because he's Asian, he he won't be a gangster or because he's white, he might be a pretender kind of thing. So it is something that's been strengthened within our community anyways. Uh, when I was writing the solution of gangsterism, it had nothing to do with the race. It just had to do with the social class. And unfortunately, because my topic was about about black people, It just happened to fall within that kind of discussion anyway. So, no, um, that's not something... That's not an agenda that I reinforce, but it is an agenda that does exist.
0: Okay. Um, For example, when I think of gangsterism, I think of the Kray twins, mods and rockers, who are actually white, and very much the idea of moral panics came from um, mods and rockers in um, the papers. Um, But when I grew up, I grew up in the time when... um, there was SUK. Who was it? I can't remember some of the other groups or the gangs that um, I had when I grew up. So for example, when we went to Battersea um, in South West London, um, we were approached by a few boys and they said, what ends you from? And because all of us on the bus, we knew that if we said we were from Tootin when Tootin was at war with Battersea, the man would have punched us up or stabbed us at least. And I might not even have been here to tell the tale. But good thing all of us were prepared and we said we came from a road. um, It was just down the road within um, the area. And then they asked us another question and it's a good thing we were able to answer it because um, we were talking, you know, about football, we were there to do athletics. I Mm -hmm. think unfortunately some other brothers may not have been able to tell the tale. And when we think about postcode wars, postcode wars um, have been something that have been happening for a while. They seem to have completely died down at the (laughs) moment because of COVID. But I hope, things like postcode wars and gangs can stop. But however, it seems that gangs, Kevin, Mm. have a place in our society simply because there is a weakening of the black family, which I think both you and I would agree absolutely need strengthening because charity begins at home. And my last question to you before we speak about your second book is, how can we strengthen the family when these gangs also become family for a lot of these young boys who they don't have a father or their mother doesn't understand their struggles or they're trying to put food on the table for their family they're, they're doing it by illegitimate means but it's got a good heart at the same time
1: how do we strengthen the family first and foremost we look at the the family di- dynamics um, a lot of the times you would have the absent father myth or you may have a mother who aren't necessarily this- who isn't necessarily a role model. So you kind of look at the dynamics and that's when you step in. Cause a lot of the times it's not actually your birth father who is your father. Someone else can, can become that, that person or that, that father figure. um, So to say, cause obviously it can't, we can't actually replace your father, but that's father figure, so to say. So that's what, what happens. And we need to look at the, the young men because a lot of young men, they want to speak to someone. And they won't they won't necessarily do it the first time you speak to them, but with mentoring, with been building a bond, building a rapport. They end up opening up. They end up becoming transparent, and they bring you in. And if they can see that okay, how you're doing, and and your representation is really is really good, and this and that, then from that they can withdraw, and you can be the father figure for that young person. But well, it is again. We need the numbers. We need more people to, to have similar mindsets to, to ours. Do you know what I mean, my brother, I know. Rome wasn't built in a, in a day. Um, but again, you just have you have to be consistent. Consistency is is the key. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, for, it's for us to, to support really these young men that are, are lost and they're not coming from the right families.
0: Rome wasn't built in, today, in a day and the destruction of the black community didn't happen overnight is always my saying um mm-hmm. i'd love to talk to you about your second book so if you could tell me more about your second book because we've heard your, about your first book we've explored a few chapters in it but let's talk about that second book
1: so yeah the second book is who am i um self-identity and purpose and it discusses one's purpose on earth why you are here i believe that everyone has a heavenly mission so as to why they're here, um. So I really wanted to home in on that and just to explain, you know, certain things that I've gone through and why I've encountered certain adversities and, you know, um, if it's had an adverse effect on me or if it hasn't. So I really wanted to tap into a lot of um topics. I did speak about um the streets as well. I spoke about growing up, why I felt like I needed to, you know, join the gang, um, and then I spoke about also. How i wasn't able to see the consequences to my action at the time, because as a sixteen year old through my research, I realized that actually there's a part there's a part in the front of the brain that's called the frontal lobe, and that isn't fully developed until the age of twenty five oh, so wow. as a, yeah so as a sixteen year old you would have not sorry for that sorry about that but um as a sixteen year old you wouldn't have necessarily seen the consequences to your actions. Um, and you would have just acted out of fear or acted, um, subsequent to having certain feelings. Um, and so, yeah, I spoke about, spoke about all of that in the book. I spoke about my transitioning. Um, I took education, I only took education seriously at the age of 21. And I'm still able to conduct myself in interviews. I'm still able to be articulate just to show that it's never too late to these young black men as well that, you know, haven't necessarily been. Um, supported by our educational system I never felt like I was was supported I was bottom set in every class I left school with one GCSE that was a French GCSE, it's only because I spoke the language, (laughs) do you know what I mean so all of those things (laughs) so all of those things, when I came to that realisation that I'm still able to write two books and go into an industry where you need a minimum of intellect or some sort of intellect I'm able to you know graduate-in-law, graduate-in-law, yeah, able to go on TV and articulate myself and stuff. So I think for me, it was really, really, really important that I wrote um, the book, you know, just to explain that. I found out who I was in the end, and you surely can. I think purpose is such
0: an intrinsic part of a human, um, and it's almost as if our whole identity revolves around it. And... A lot of us do not seem to um, understand purpose and how it aligns with our identity, which in turn helps our sense of self. And Mm. when did you find out at which point in your life did that epiphany Mm. come when Mm. you said to yourself, this is my purpose, this Mm. is my identity, and this Mm. is who
1: I am going to be? Mm -hmm. So from a lot of oppression that one receives, one eventually fight back but again you fight back with the tools that you have right um and then if you're in a world within a world where your tools are violence or let's say knives or guns that's what you're going to use right um i got to a point in my life where i was 19 years of age tired of everything that was happening in the area and people dying and i got and i said to myself surely there must be a better way to fight back where none of us will die um and yeah even before getting to education and seeing that education would be the the area in which one will it, in the area in which i would get my freedom from i was then invited to church and for me church was my attachment everyone has an attachment when they come from a certain walk of life when they um, and the walk of life is negative uh, and the walk of life was negative previously so for me the walk of life was negative previously i had church as an attachment from church i was given structure i was given the ten commandments i was given i was given positivity as well that's something that we don't speak about a lot Pos- speaking life into someone is very significant it's very important. and it should not not be underestimated and from obviously all of that i was then asking myself okay i've received all of this positivity and i've heard of her stories and i've been able to transition and to stop selling drugs Or to stop being on the streets. Or to stop hanging out with the wrong people. I'm surrounded by good people. And this is now the new ambition. And I'm part of a new family. Who am I? That's when you start asking yourself, "All right, they're doing something with their life. They're driving decent cars or they're doing certain things. They're working jobs. They're earning money. They seem happy as well. Because that's the highest form of success. How do I become happy like them? And that's when the epiphany comes in. And literally, for me, I was just asking myself all the time, God, why are you waking me up? <laughs> I was pressuring God, why are you waking me up? Why are you waking me up? Why are you waking me up? And organically came the passion to fight for causes, you know, to change, um, to, yeah, to change, for, for social change to come forth, um, for, for social change to occur. Um, and then, yeah, literally, book, a book derived from it, after the book opportunities derived from the book that that then obviously um, yeah, manifested in a second book being written and other things that I'm working on right now. So, yeah.
0: And I want to ask you, so the church became your agent, I suppose, for the change that
1: you've Mm -hmm. therefore
0: manifested into your life. It's become a part Mm -hmm. of your identity. I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, which is technically a denomination away from Christianity. It was created by Ellen G. White, who um, they believed that she had visions. When Mm. um, they found out scientifically later on that she had um, epileptic fits. Now, I'm not here to dispute whether she had visions or not, but she was also quite racist. And um, Adventism is quite new, but ironically, Adventists are some of the longest living Christians in the world. They live Mm -hmm. in in a blue zone, for example, in California, where you have great access to um, fruit, veg, a lot of them live raw vegan, which is, that's for, veganism is for a whole nother topic on a whole nother day. But I want to mm-hmm. ask you, religion has been such a core component of revolutions for black people typically. So we've got Malcolm X, you know, Nation of Islam, moved away from it. He was still um, Muslim. We have mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, who was Christian as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Marcus Garvey, well. Pan Africanism is technically a religion in the way we can understand it, which is a branch off from Rastafarianism. We can go around that all day, but that's for another live. I want to ask you can the church today be really and truly a revolutionary component for black people when we've, what I find and what I've found typically is a lot of people are more angry, Christians, that. Oh, and as my friend Deji said, Nat Turner turned the Bible on its head. Mm. Good shout, mm. Deji. I wanna find I wanna ask, can so the church sometimes ends up creating more division? And mm-hmm. a lot of people have been angrier at the looting as opposed to the death of George Floyd. And I want to ask you your own personal opinion can the church be a revolutionary agent for change? And what is your feelings around the looting? And the death of George Floyd.
1: The church can most certainly be part of our change and our progress. Just because when you even look at some of the deaths, you will look at some of the biblical names, the Daniels that die, the Davids that die. So when I hear a church saying that it's a separate problem, for me, that's absolute madness. Like The church is definitely... The church is what buries us. (laughs) At a funeral, who do we call? You know what I mean? We call... A religious leader, um so yeah the church is definitely can definitely be um, used as a re- um, revolutionary tool and it, ha- it has been for some parts of the world um in in the uk actually it's, it's, it's been happening with certain pastors, but what happens is sometimes we have a problem of Christians that are legalistic and that don't see that God is actually a god of love, and anything that is positive is behind.
0: Say that, say that again for people to hear, because I understand what you mean, but you've got to break down that term. What is it, legalistic?
1: So legalistic, people that are quite radical and people okay. that see things in one way, um, people that are quite judgmental, people that see that, okay, you know, you're coming into the church maybe with, I don't know, it can be tattoos on your face or it can be just something that you maybe one shouldn't do. Or it could be something like something that's against a principle of God, like fornication or something. And what the church tends to do, at times, not all churches, is uh, they might push that person away because they don't feel like that person is worthy enough to be, you know, seen with or to be connecting with them. And uh, we don't see enough love. But of course, the church can definitely be. A revolutionary tool um, to bring forth change, 100%. Religious leaders have a lot of impact, a lot of influence. As we said, Martin Luther King was a religious leader as well. He was a minister, but he was able to sit in front of the President of the United States. Malcolm X was um, a religious leader as well. Um, so, yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be just Christianity. It can be Muslims as well. Um, so even the mosques can be used as a revolutionary tool.
0: 100%. Um, I absolutely agree with you. And when we think about um, Martin Luther King, he was mm-hmm. deeply whitewashed in history. People forget that Martin Luther King wasn't completely non violent. He believed in um, defense and to love his own people. But it was, ho- however, until I believe it was the protests he went to at Montgomery where they said to him he had to be peaceful. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they're going to end up using violence on him. Um, and I need to double check and read over some of the books that I have. But that's what I remember off the top of my head. It may be right. It may be wrong. Mm-hmm. And I want to find out from you as well. Um, I've been to events where there's the Nation of Islam. Um, and I find my issues around them, they're not really doing too much the way they should. Because unless you're uh, Muslim, they don't really align with your thought process. Um and for someone like me, I don't necessarily buy into the concept of heaven or hell because my idea of um life is I can make my life my heaven or hell and I don't want to submit to a religion that forces me to wait for a life hereafter until I because I can have a life here now. But I'm not going to knock other religions as a result of that. Everyone has their belief structure. But how do we reach people? who as soon as they hear religion, they close off their brains, they Mm -hmm. close off their minds, and they close off their hearts. How would you reach those people who are unwilling to hear the message alone?
1: What you do, you see what you do with those people, those type of peoples is, you, you don't Bible bash, or you don't use the Quran excessively. Again, that's a subjective view of mine. You don't use the Quran excessively, whilst you're trying to aid them. And I, I tend to see what we tend to see is a lot of people Bible bashing forgetting that how they walk is Jesus, how they speak is Jesus. As um the Bible says that you know them by their fruits. So if your fruits are patience, um, humility, you know what I mean um goodness of the heart, then that person will be drawn towards wanting to to get involved with you anyways, without you having to to preach. But Again, that's quite a, a modern way to look at it. We still have people that are acting in their old ways and it's quite, as I said again, legalistic, radical, one way, um, and that's how you can be drawn towards me. But um, you always you always have to create that bridge. You have to create that bridge because, again, like you said, you've got a, a, um, a way of thinking. My brother also have, has his way of, of, of thinking because he's an intellectual, so a lot of the things for him in the Bible don't necessarily make sense. Um, you know, you might Maybe think okay, there's a contradiction here. There might be this. There might be that. And what I, I tend to do is, when we do speakers, I try to create a bridge just for us to to have a conversation. Do you know what I mean? And um, I I try to not be radical so that I don't he doesn't flee. Because a lot of the times when you do that, it's it's a form of hate. Uh, being being radical in a certain way and saying to someone it's this way or no other. Um, so yeah, yeah that's how you create the the that's how I'm going toward you, you create the bridge.
0: Absolutely. I think bridging the communities together, especially for the black community, is so important and Bible bashing mm-hmm. really could just drive people away. You know, people from my church still want me to come back to church and I've informed them I'm not gonna come back for a while. I'm still on my own journey. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I return to Christianity is yet to be seen, but for now there is no um what is it, sequel to the prequel. Um mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you. So, we've spoken a lot about your two books. We've spoken yeah. about your work in prisons. Um, I wanted to get onto a little bit more of a heavy topic, um, and that is George Floyd. Upon seeing what happened to the brother, which I absolutely agree is a modern day lynching, police yes. brutality has absolutely continued, and it's, it's not seeming to stop. Mm-hmm. As a young black man, how do you feel seeing the death of another black brother in George Floyd? And are our fears of America warranted here in the UK?
1: Very good question. Um, what what I will say to that question is that I feel like the George Floyd episode is nothing new in terms of, I'm not sensitized to it. Um, it's always going to be hurtful to me, always. Anyone losing their life in, in such a way will be something hurtful to me, but we need to understand that this is something that's been happening when we look at... Um, I take one example from the UK who is... Because we have a misconception that in the UK, because they don't have guns, there's no racism or the police is okay here. Um, And a lot of people don't know, like, that there's, the information is out there, but a lot of people don't study um the, the information of... Police brutality here. So um, we've got Nuno Cardoso, who was a first-year law student, who again, who died in custody. Um Sean Charles here as well, again, died, um, died, uh, died because of police brutality, and obviously the George Floyd just, it was just—it was just—it sparked something because of how it was, how it was how it was, it was filmed. You know what I mean? And uh, the seeing you know, of the nine minutes and the standing on him and stuff like that. That's why it was, you know, taken so seriously. A lot of the times we, we don't get to see um that and we don't get to see the police officer, you know, standing on his neck. It might be that he gets shot, or we might just see the headline on the news and I think that's why everyone took it seriously. But from 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 before we were hearing what was happening, I think it should have been taken seriously. The protest should have been going on. It took Martin Luther King 381 days to get some change. Um, the Montgomery Walk was 381 days, which is more than a year. Yeah. Um, and people really need to understand that it is consistency. The Blacked Out Tuesday, I didn't get involved with it. I posted the day after. I'm being extra, but literally it was just like for me. So what? Well, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. This for a day. Forget it. We're not going to get changed within a day. Um, yeah, I just felt really heartbroken because I could see people posting and I didn't want it to be kind of like a bandwagon moment where everyone posts because it's just happening now and then in a week's time, we just carry on living our normal lives. I want it to be, I'm really for the cause and consistency is key. And again, as I said, how do you help young black people? You help within your community. You read your history. You know thyself. You protest. You protest. There's so many things. If you can't protest, you can educate. If you can't educate, you can read and inform yourself so you know how to defend yourself when you see police officers without having to be violent because you're educated on your rights, for example. Um, There's so many things that one can do. And I mean, yeah, it has to be consistent, man. It can't just be one Tuesday, no way. It's like when we have one month for the whole year. I don't dig that. Um, So, yeah, that's how I feel about it, man. I feel... It's heavy, you know, standing on his neck for nine minutes. Yeah, it was just, it wasn't nice to see.
0: I think taken from what you've said, essentially, this, this can't just be a trend. It can't just be a hashtag. It can't just be a name. It has to be something that's been continuing. Brothers like you and I have been working every day of the year to continue then, putting a fight to blackness, you know. I did my TEDx talk on the failures of multiculturalism and how we need to have a black curriculum. And I'm going to be um, having my Instagram live with a young lady who actually has a black curriculum that she's um, creating
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so on and so on. And I think this is, this is one of my biggest issues. You know, as I said, people like me and you, we do this all the time. And it's so important that we don't just get stuck in clicktivism, that we don't get stuck in the media mm-hmm. cycle of a brother dies, or a sister dies or someone black dies and then there's a cycle where everyone does their action then it stops again then there's another death and then it happens and it happens and i sometimes think when it comes to the protest the police Mm. and people are just banking for it to tire out as you said martin luther king protested for 381 days more than a year you also have in the civil rights era where houses were being burnt down, places were being looted, police were killing black people with hoses and setting dogs on them, beating them. We have a time now where we can make these changes last for a lot longer than what they currently are. And we need to be able to do that. And I think when we think about everything that's happening, as long as we create a sustainable change and continue to educate people, I would like to believe some of the issues we have will eventually subside or Mm -hmm. go away, but maybe I'm living in a fantasy. But Mm -hmm. I'd like um, for you to tell me what is happening for you in the future moving forward? Um, From your... You've got two books, you're still doing your work in the prisons. Where can everyone find you on social media as well?
1: Yeah, so in terms of the work that I'm going to undertake... After this, you know, this this pandemic, which is stopping quite a few things, is the fact that I'm going into schools to deliver talks now, um, testimonial again, representation and accessibility. Um, I don't want to be too far gone now that I've got the books, now that I've been on TV or now that I've been in the newspaper. And that's, that's the problem that we have. We are, a lot of the people that do make it or excel, they become unaccessible. You don't see them yeah. kind of thing. So I want to be accessible to the young kids. So that's something that um, is going to be happening in September, I'm guessing. Um, I've been solicited for that, for um, a speech soon within a school. And that's going to happen within more schools. So it's going to be a program called Inspiration with Kevin Munger, where I turn up with 50 free books of young black potential. Those books will be signed and those young people will be able to speak to me. Um, and it's happened already, but it's just a continuation of it. Another thing is that I'm going going to go into visuals. Um, we need to tap into every area to get our mes- messages, messages across. So short films is an area that I'm looking into now. I've already written my first script. Um, so from writing books, we, we're writing scripts now. And it's going to be on bullying. Uh, bullying is a big, big, big thing within our community. Uh, not just our community and other communities. So a lot of people will be able to relate. Uh, and in terms of social media, Facebook is Kevin Munger. No Twitter. I just don't really get Twitter. So, yeah, neither um,
0: do I. I, I. I don't
1: know how to work it. <laughs> Twitter is just a mad one. Um, LinkedIn, Kevin Munger. Instagram, Kevin Munger underscore. Yeah, that's that's how you can keep up with the work. And we can collaborate again. None of the bougie none of the I'm unaccessible. I am accessible and people, you know, can come approach me and we can work, man. We can work.
0: I want to ask you another question. You know, are you ever worried of when you go into schools that yeah. the black experience is being fetishized? And when I ask, say that, it's very much the idea you're not worthy of hearing unless you've had a struggle that relates to gangs prisons mm. or some kind of crime. I'm I the I only mm. one that one that that has that idea sometimes that you have to have that story for kids to sometimes listen. And does that mm-hmm. is that not suggestive of the very much the trauma cycle which sometimes people who even have the best intentions for us and yeah. for our youth keep us locked in?
1: Mm-hmm. No I, I wouldn't necessarily say that um because a lot of the times, again, like you said, so if you don't have that story, like um, a young man said to me, a young man that I'm working with now, who's come out of prison, said to me the same thing, I'll only listen if it's a real G, if it's yeah. a real G. And it, it kind of seems as if, you know, they're not able to listen to anyone else. Um, I mean, it's just for the for the person themselves who aren't necessarily a real G or never is from a different walk of life to kind of just understand the language. And again, everything is education. The streets can actually be taught. Like I yeah. say this all the time, and there are books out there. There's a book from a friend of mine called Prisoner to the Streets, where he actually dissects the streets. So that is actually a form of education as well, because within the streets, there's hierarchy. Within, within the streets, there's, there's codes. There's a way, there's a, there's a code of conduct. There's how, how one moves, how one does certain things. There's a language. So I'd say it's probably for the for that person to just, you know, find an interest um, and yeah, tap into that and be able to communicate with those people because obviously this is all they've learned or not all they've learned. They might've learned in schools, but that's all they've appreciated um, in a way, or that's what they've put on a pinnacle that this is what I'm going to home in into. This is this is the the education that I'm getting. It's the streets. It's, you know, the, the, they get business acumen from it when um, they're selling the drugs. They get their language from from the streets. So if it means being not articulate at all, but being able to communicate with other brothers and stuff and create bridge that way, bridges that way and money, then they will do so. Um, so I think, yeah, it's definitely for that person to, to just understand the language. Um, when you look at someone like George the Poet, for example, I don't think he's necessarily been in a gang. But he understands both worlds. And it's amazing what he does. He's very articulate. But he's then able also to speak to the man them. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think that's what it is. Because, again, like you said, we don't want to push the agenda that if you ain't been from that life, you can't speak to those young men kind of thing. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully that answers the question.
0: No, that definitely does. Um, When I've gone into schools and one of my friends who's actually watching this now, Deji, um, mm. Deji, Brandon and I, we used to go into schools and we used to teach on um, projects around race, media and education. And um, <laughs> when Deji, Deji used to get so excited because he used to love talking about the war on drugs. You could not mm-hmm. get Deji not talking about the war on drugs because he wanted to educate the kids. And um, mm. Brandon used to talk about education and I used to switch in between music. And k- mm. when kids hear music, that they can Mm. relate to and they sometimes understand, that's what captures their mind. You walk into their environment, you pull Mm -hmm. them out at the same time and you show them that there's two ways that they're able to live. And Mm -hmm. and as you said, the idea of being relatable, sometimes people think I sound quite middle-class and you sound white, you sound educated, Sean, like you've grown up in a middle-class area. I grew up in the streets just as everyone has. It's just my mom forced me to read. That's all shit. That all, that's all. it was. I grew up in a single parent household. And um, I was able to relate to kids and somehow and somehow. And just as you are, you know, you came from Paris. You saw the streets, you know, mm-hmm. you saw the gangsterism. You found your way um, through God. You, you're a two-time mm-hmm. author. You work in prisons. I don't think people understand how remarkable a young man that you are to be able to do all of that with the, all the obstacles put against you, all the markers in life that I've said to you, you shouldn't have been able to make it. But you and I are able to have a conversation over Instagram Live and you and I have never even met. Could you imagine? Mm-hmm. We've never <laughs> even met, but we're able yeah. to have this conversation because we have one common goal. And that is mm-hmm. the liberation and that is the freedom, the empowerment and the fulfillment of our community. And yeah, for man. the last two to three minutes, I just want you to leave my audience here and your audience with some final words that they can take away.
1: So in terms of, I'll start off with some of the quotes that I live by. Um, so the quote from the first book will be, I'm trying to challenge the ideology that in order to be somebody where I'm from in need road status. And that the only way young black males make it where I'm from is if they know how to kick a ball or write lyrics. And literally, is talking about just creating the alternatives and showing that we are more than just footballers. We are more than just athletes. And um, essentially, that intellectual weaponry is a necessity. Um, and that's when they start taking us seriously, kind of thing. So that's that, that'll that be the first thing. So for everyone to tap into different areas in which we can help our people, to show There's them that.
0: There's nothing more scary to society than an educated black man.
1: Amen. And I say Amen. it and I stand by that. Yes. Um and obviously it's it's because of we've seen the the success that we've gained from it. Not necessarily the success, but we've seen the, the positive impact it's had on us to read and to articulate ourselves and we're able to articulate ourselves better and able to, you know, hold conversations such as these. Um but not everyone sees it that way. So that's why it is for us to to make sure that we make it um pleasable for other people to to join us. <laughs> have these conversations so that'll probably be the first thing the second thing is yeah man just keep doing you um and i think a lot of the things that we tend to see is people love to say i'm underrated i'm not seen enough i'm not visible enough if you say that about yourself who else will believe in you yeah Um, that's what people need to people need to stop doing why do you feel like you're underrated just because you're not seen by the people that don't need to see you anyways do you know what I mean? And it might be like, like um, a, there's a black businessman in Craydon who said that he was trying to get the intent. He was trying to get attention from the wrong people. And when he saw two kids walking across, walking across, and they're walking past his shop, they tapped on the window. As he come out, they ran to him and hugged him. And he said, "You re- then you realise that this is the recognition I need to get. I don't need to be famous in the." open world and get attention from the wrong people so that's what I would say do not feel like you're an underrated person just keep doing you um, and yeah that's really what I would say man just keep pushing I've got one passage of the book that I did want to read
0: Apps, go is- ahead you've got one minute and 15 <laughs> seconds go ahead
1: okay um, had the page I had the page page is gone but yeah I'm gonna find it okay so this is in chapter four, um, and it's called culture, the chapter. And I literally talk about police officers. Obviously, it's, it's irrelevant to the topic. Police officers employed to patrol urban areas; they are unable to relate to, causes miscommunication within communities. This statement highlights the importance of the f- the importance of culture. What is culture? Where does your culture stem from? Culture is defined as ideas, customs, and social behavior from a particular group of people or society. Please do not make culture, in fact. Please, please, people do not make culture. In fact, it is the reverse. Armed with this intellect, why do individuals choose to align themselves with such negativity? For enhancements. We've
0: got 10 sec. We've got seven. It's going quick. Um, okay.
1: No, I won't have time. I won't have time you know to is. finish. We're going to do a part
0: two. But yeah, um oh perfect. He's put a request in again. Good to end it so abruptly. Let's
1: see if the connection
0: Yeah Kev man.
1: Let's not wanna
0: end it so abruptly.
1: Yes. The time was done up. Um yeah, so again, the devil's allow. It must be a powerful passage then. So I'm not able to even get the words out (laughs) but um where is it one second yeah so the passage was the extract was police officers employed to patrol urban areas they are unable to relate to causes miscommunication within communities this statement highlights the importance of culture what is culture where does your culture stem from Culture is defined as ideas, customs, and social behavior from a particular group of people or society. People do not make culture. In fact, it is the reverse. Armed with this intellect, why do individuals choose to align themselves with such negativity? For enhancement, respect, survival, fitting in or having accessibility to facilities which are not necessarily obtainable in third world countries where morals and civilization prevails. My confusion ends when I see the lack of diversity in its urban areas. Revisiting memories and calling previous encounters and possibly similar to some of yours. Croydon Surrey during 2003, in the last year of primary school, saw the emerge of many teenage social groups. However, the most popular groups accommodated the worst troublemakers. They all spoke the same and shared the same sense of style, but most importantly, they all appeared respected. Some of the perks that came with the come up and the notoriety included females, identity, and security, as they abided by their own set of rules. It was not until several years later, I realized that those dividends were nothing but mere illusions. So that's the passage that I wanted to just highlight when we talk of the streets and we talk of how much, how much, how much of an impact it has on a young black male, how much it is viewed as something that is quite beneficial to one. You know, when you're talking about the the things that one acquires from the streets, such as respect, um, it's a way of survival, fitting in. Having accessibility to facilities which are not necessarily obtainable in third world countries, just really to show the extent of, of um, self value that it adds to one, uh, you then understand why it is something that is quite hard to fight against un- unless there are opportunities that seem a lot better to the eye for the young person that's involved.
0: Kevin, we've gone over by like yeah. five <laughs> minutes. But let me tell you something. As I said, we've never met in person, but after COVID, we're going to meet. Um, I definitely believe the audience have absolutely enjoyed um, having, having you as a guest on my um, new Insta Live series, Flower mm-hmm. Hour. I'm going to hopefully be doing two guests every week. Um, and we're going to have a part two with you in hopefully mm-hmm. a good couple of weeks or maybe a month or so, because mm-hmm. we'll wa- I want to catch up with your journey. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for being literally my first guest.
1: Thank you. thank You honestly
0: made it such a pleasure. And I'm so thankful that we've been able to share the information, the knowledge that we have, and you've been Mm -hmm. able to tell us about your life, man. And to be an author is something that I'm looking to be at some point in my life, Kevin. Mm -hmm. And you inspire me, and I'm sure that the people that are on my page are going to be inspired by you and your great representation to us young black men and to men to be better men out there in the world. And I truly mean that I don't just say things for the sake of it. I want to say thank you so much. And your journey has inspired me more than you can honestly imagine to keep going, to keep glowing and don't ever give up. And if you ever need me, you know I am. I'm a mobile mm-hmm. phone away. I'm an Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm right here. So I am definitely mm-hmm. just want to say thank you so much.
1: I'm humbled, man. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that tuned in as well, man. This, Absolutely. Is, this is great. Um, And that's how change occurs. You know, that's how change occurs, man. So unity and um, through unity and love. So thank you to everyone that tuned in. Literally, man. Humbled.
0: Um, And we're going to have a part two. We promise to everyone, we're going to have a part two because sometimes an hour is not enough. And in my story, I'm going to um, put up a direct link to both of your books if anybody wants to purchase Kevin's books. If you want to support black black creators, um, black authors, um, but everything black. At this current period in time, but also just in general, we want to help encourage that. And mm-hmm. to anyone who's tuned in now, you've just missed the live, but I've put it on my, um, what's it called, um, page already, so you can tune in with that. So, okay. Kev, I'm going to have to go now. Yes. Because, um, you know, <laughs> man, I'm so thankful, though, Kev, man. We'll catch up.
1: Again, we'll catch up, brother, man. See you Definitely,
0: soon. man. I'll see you soon.
1: See you soon, brother. All
0: right. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.